This morning, before, bye kids. See, you need to, you want them to hear this? We're going to do the if gathering stuff. Yes. Why, why don't you all wait? Why don't you all wait? That would be awesome, actually. So before the message, for the next two weeks, we're going to have two ladies share um, something that God had spoken to them or was on their heart for if gathering this week, and then we'll do it again next week with two other ladies. So who is up first? Here she comes. All right. Bonnie. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that uh, we're going to be doing it two weeks um, because for the If Gathering, there were so many different speakers. I don't know exactly how many there were. Um, and everybody came from a different perspective. Everybody came to this um, gathering here from a different perspective. Everybody had their own thoughts, um, what they were going through, everything like that. And, um, and it's just kind of like God when he speaks through his word because it'll all, it could be the same exact word but it'll all hit us different ways. Uh, the theme of um, the weekend or the gathering, whatever it was called, um, was Psalm 23. And it's one that we all know. We've all said it many times. We all have it memorized. Um, we've read it multiple, multiple times. And yet it hit, I'm pretty certain, every one of us that were there, it hit us a different way this time. Um, just hearing the different speakers and how they elaborated on each individual verse, um, I think it, it, it is, and one of the speakers said it's kind of the anthem of the Christian, of, you know, how we can just proclaim it, we can remind ourselves, we can meditate on it. Um, what really spoke to me, and um, I guess most of you know, um, right now we are kind of going through a little valley <laughs> um, with uh, my father-in-law. He, uh, he got sick around Christmas, and um, he's finally at home, but he's requiring pretty much round-the-clock care. Um, we're able to leave him for an hour at a time, which is why I'm here now. Um, Brandon had to work today. Uh, so anyway, but um, so we're kind of going through this time where it's, it's hard. It's hard taking care of a parent, especially um, just because it was unexpected for us as far as, you know, he's young, he's 67. Um, so it wasn't exactly what we were thinking would happen this year. Um, and it's difficult. Um, one of the things that we've been going through though, or while we're going through this, Brandon and I both have been in a lot of prayer uh, seeking God, God, what are we doing? How do we do this? How do I give him this medicine? What should I do about this? What should I do about that? God, give me your strength. <laughs> God, heal him. <laughs> God, work through all this. We're saying so many prayers right now. So many times we are, we are just I'm just in tears of, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm trying. And um, one of the speakers, um, he was, it was just a little blurb before he even spoke. Um, he was saying that, that that last year he was going through a valley. He didn't really elaborate what was going on. I don't know. It's not really my business. But he and his wife were going through this valley. And he came to a realization, he said, that um, he had been praying. He had been seeking God. He had been looking for what God is doing through all of this. Um, and he just, it was made clear to him that 
that was the point that he was searching God and he was coming closer to God. And that was the goal. That is the goal for us to search for God, for us to get closer to God. With whatever valley we're going through, whatever uh, just everyday life that we're going through, our, our, our goal should be to search for Christ. Um, and I was telling my parents this, um, and my dad was like, he's like, that reminds me of a verse, Philippians 3.10. And um, <clears throat> it's, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from dead. Not that I've already attained this, but I have, or have already arrived at my goal, but I will press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We will press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's the goal. Christ is the goal. Knowing God is the goal. Whether Randy gets better, whether we have to go every day and and pull our hair out, <laughs> whatever it is, that's okay, because knowing God is the goal. The Lord is my shepherd. John 10, 11 says that Jesus is the shepherd. And in John 10, 3, it says, and his sheep are going to know his voice. The biggest takeaway that I had was when <clears throat> a shepherd is shepherding his flock and someone else walks into the pen, the sheep are not going to respond to that other person. They only respond to the shepherd because the shepherd's the one that knows the sheep. The shepherd's the one that provides that safety. The shepherd is the one that protects the flock. Jesus is our shepherd. He's the one that paves the way, that guides our pathway. He's the light unto our feet, or the lamp unto our feet. He's the one that leads us beside still waters. Because in him, there's peace. He's the one that makes us righteous because he's the one that took on all of the sin that we have. He bore the pain, he bore the death so that we don't have to pay that because he is our shepherd and he is our guide. Um, Something that, <clears throat> that is really important to me through Psalm 23 is that it says, even though I walk through the dark valley of death, I don't have to be afraid because my shepherd is right there. Sheep will rest and will sleep when they feel safe. And they feel rest and they feel safe when their shepherd is there. My shepherd is here. My shepherd walks with me. My shepherd guides me. He is my security and he is my saving grace. If 2023. Wow, that was awesome. Thank you, Jen, and thank you, Bonnie, for sharing. All right, kids. That's not always easy for folks to, to share, you know, stand up in front of everyone and, and talk. Some of, us, some of us is easier than others, but it's, it's awesome. I know, some, I know some, I mean, it's like, it, it's great for those who overcome that fear to share what God had, has given. I don't know, maybe it was easy for Bonnie and Jen, but I love that. I love seeing that. 
All right, y'all. We are continuing to journey through Exodus. And as John mentioned last week, Exodus 20, but wait, we're going to go back to 19 for a second because they're really... It's hard to talk about 20 without remembering 19. And thank God I had the one after, so I can go back and reference 19. You know, he couldn't go forward because he didn't want to steal my thunder. But, ah, pun intended. <laughs> I didn't mean that one. Sorry, that was an accident. Um, but I am, we are going to go back to 19 and just, because I want to just reiterate something that um, John had shared and um, as we get to this part. But remembering that God has brought Israel out of slavery, and God has defeated Pharaoh and crushed the empire, and all these things. And as I, you're swirling and you're thinking about these things, it's easy to go, well, okay, God, but what do you want Israel to do? Right? Have you ever thought, like, what, what are they, like, they're just, they're wondering, they're, are they, where are they going? What's happening? Of course, if they remembered promises that God made to Abraham, there's echoes being heard of there to be, are we to be a blessing? Is this finally the time when we're a blessing to other nations? You know, all these different things, but they've been promised this through Abraham, and yet in the midst of these promises, they've been in this awful slavery and bondage for hundreds of years. God, I know we all probably can relate to that, right? What the heck are you doing, God? What's going on? But in these passages, we get to bring some of those pieces forward and say, well, what, pract- what is God wanting? What is he doing? Because I referenced this a couple weeks ago, and I probably will continue to reference, that God wasn't just saving them from something, he was saving them to something. And we're getting to see those pieces come together in Israel here. Well, what are you saving us to, right? The same way God doesn't just save us from our sins and <clears throat> uh, whatever else that we're dealing with or struggling with, just to set us free, it's a freedom to something. And if we don't recognize that purpose and we don't recognize it's a freedom to something, then it's easy to kind of get lost and then even to get enslaved again. So I'm going to read Exodus 19. Um, I'll start on verse 3 real quick. Okay, then Moses went up to God. So I failed to mention that they are at Sinai now which God promised that he would bring them to this place and they would worship at this mountain back in Exodus 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites. So he is to tell them this and I love this. Go to the next slide, please. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It's when I like read this and I sense the tenderness of what God is doing, it is hard for me to not choke up just a little bit. Uh, this is a, a Middle Eastern eagle. It's not America. It's not a bald eagle, but this is what would have been, you know, flying around around those times. But they've gone through this struggle, man. I can just sense like being beat down in slavery and all these things that they've had to go through for such a long time. I actually kind of understand why they may struggle putting trust in God. Wouldn't it be easy? God, we've been a slaver 400 years. How am I supposed to trust you? If, have, you ever had, have you ever had trust issues or known someone have trust issues? It often takes a very long time to work out of the, that, even though the most simple thing to do is just trust God, Right? But it's a lot harder than that because you struggled with it for years and years. These people were born into trust issues probably with God and why are we in this slavery? All these things are happening over and over. But God is telling them in this, again, this almost like tender moment I feel like where he says, listen, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. So first and foremost, God's not on an ego trip, but he needs them to understand it was him that brought them out. It wasn't... uh, something clever that they crafted of themselves. It wasn't by happen chance. It wasn't the random act that, listen, you guys, you have to know Israel, and we'll see this as we get into like the Ten Commandments and stuff, that it was, it was me who did this. How I bore you on eagle's wings. He brings them out of Egypt on this, and then my, that, that, my, that line that just chokes me up that says, I brought you to myself. What does that tell you about God? You know, God was bringing the Israelites. He said, listen, I brought you out of Egypt for a purpose. 
And here, part of that purpose is, I, I want you. Like, God wants the Israelites. He wasn't, he's not this faraway God that doesn't care and is angry uh, at Israel. And, this, and here, God is saying, no, listen, I have brought you out of Egypt to bring you to me. And I love how I think about that, and I recognize that, that though God says this to Israel, hey, as Gentiles, aren't we craft, crafted, grafted into that this is our heritage, that God said, a called out people that I actually want to bring you to myself. And then he says, now therefore, so now he's going to give them something. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. You can go to the next slide if you don't mind. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. I'm going to stop in the middle of the verse while I wait for the next slide to come up. All right, awesome. I, I'm trying to go through this a little bit slow here because I think it's really important. That God is telling them that out of this like whole earth like that he created and like carve those mountains that you see there and like form the continents and like he made this out of nothing. It's, I don't, my mind doesn't have any idea how to really fathom that. And not only did he make this beautiful earth, like there's nations of people on the earth when God's speaking this, all people from different tribes and languages and all kinds of stuff. And there's this kind of, this, this group of slaves in the Middle East that God says, I brought you out of slavery I bore you on eagle's wings. I'm bringing you to myself because I want to make you my treasured possession out of all peoples. How incredible is that? That God is saying, you, Israel, I want you to be my treasured possession. I want you to be mine. This is part of the purpose of why God has called them out of Egypt, why he's been doing what he's doing it's like a loving father just saying, "This I desire you to be mine." Isn't that awesome? Knowing that God desires, like that, that He desires them. <laughs> like He's 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 not just sitting on a throne demanding that you bring me, you know, offerings and this that and like like He's saying, "I actually care for you and I desire you." The whole earth is mine, and yet I've picked you and I've chosen you. And what has He chosen them? Four, possession to himself, but also in verse 6, it says, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom in a holy nation. So he's saving them, he's bringing them freedom to become a nation of priests to God. Isn't that incredible? That he's, he's saying, I desire you to be set apart, Israel, to myself, and you be a nation of ministers to me. And if we think, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Number one, I hate whenever we say stuff like that. But this is not just a thought that was, you know, during Moses' time. We sang Revelation song this morning, and I wasn't going to, but I think I'm going to read it now since we sang that song. But you can go all the way to Revelation. You can read Revelation 1. I'm going to read Revelation 5 because it's one of my favorite scenes in Revelation. Just to help us to understand that this heart that God had thousands of years ago for this people didn't change. And it's a heart God has for us. In, in Revelation 5, there's this incredible scene that's broken out. And it says that there's, uh, I'm, I'll read some of it, but I'll just kind of paraphrase some of it also, is that there's these scrolls and they're, and they're sealed with seven different seals. And they're asking who's worthy to break the scroll. And then you see John because it says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open it. You see John weeping bitterly. This is this whole scene because no one can break the scroll. No one can open the seals. I don't want to go down a huge bunny trail, but he's weeping because God's judgment needs to be poured out. He's weeping going it needs to. And so maybe we, again, no big bunny trail, but maybe we need to rethink and understand judgment from God's perspective. It might change he is weeping because of that. But then one of the elders says, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. And then they see this lamb that looks slaughtered, which is just a crazy idea, right? Like, 
They're looking for someone powerful or whatever to open these seals, and all of a sudden this, sl- this lamb that looks slaughtered comes over to open the seals. All these, these 24 elders are falling, and then I'm just going to read this. They say, uh, Verse 9, they sing a new song. Heaven breaks out in a song as this lamb grabs a scroll because it is, he is worthy to open the seals. It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slaughtered. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God um, from every tribe and language and people and nation. So this is what Jesus, our lamb, has done. But then it was for a purpose. They weren't just ransomed to be ransomed. They were ransomed because in verse 10 it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to God. And they will reign on the earth. I bring this up because what God spoke to the people of Israel thousands of years ago, he still speaks today. That Jesus was slain and he was slaughtered, and he ransomed us, the people of God, who've chosen to follow this, this king who was a lamb, who was slain, who was a lion. Amazing. Because he desires to make us a kingdom of priests to God. For us to reign on the earth when he, <laughs> as kingdom of priests to God. Isn't that awesome? I wish I could dive a little deeper. There's so much more to that because I want to get into chapter 20. But I would ask you to ask the question this week, what does it look like for us, not just me, but for us as a people to be a people who are priests unto God, who are, who are reigning on earth as ministers unto the Lord? Because that's what God desired Israel to do. Let's turn over to Exodus 20 with that in the background. Because I think that when we read the Ten Commandments, like anyone, like I've seen people with the Ten Commandments in their front yard, and you see them in the courthouses, and you, it's almost like John 3.16, right? You've heard it so many times, it almost becomes numb. You almost become numb to it. You shouldn't. Um, I think the Ten Commandments, these commandments that God's going to give the people of Israel, um, can be read very kind of coldly, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. But whenever we take a step back and try to look at it from God's perspective and try to see this as a loving father who is calling a treasured people to him that he cares for, that's desiring to make these people a kingdom of priests to him, I think it changes, hopefully, the way we look at these and it makes them so beautiful and wonderful. But before I read the Ten Commandments that he gives, I'm actually going to skip to verse 18 so we can see this kind of scene that's playing out before us as we read those commandments. If you go to the next slide. And John mentioned this too last week, so we can just kind of get, I'm just trying to put us in like the vibes of what's taking place, and then we can read it. This is after he reads, or they uh, share, Moses shares the commandments. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and stood at the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. So put yourself there real quick. Like, it's easy to, when I think of this whole scene, I always think in cartoon. Anybody else? Because you've seen like the Moses with the tablets, or I think of the Ten Commandments movie or whatever. I see this, uh, a mountain that looks like it's smoking, and like you just kind of think of it in that, that didn't really happen almost kind of perspective. But imagine being there. I'm sure that many of us have been in pretty nasty thunderstorms before. And even as an adult, there's times where it goes, boom, and you're like, whoo, oh there. <laughs> that one startled me. <laughs> imagine being at this, this, this mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning and these trumpets and it looks as though it's like smoking and, and these commandments are given and to, so much so to where these ad- grown adults are trembling. They're afraid, like, what is happening here? This is freaky, man. This is scary. Why did God do that? Which we're going to actually read here. But that's, what, that's my question, too, is not only why is this, oh, that's kind of scary, but why did God choose to portray himself to the people of Israel in this way? And verse 19 says, um, And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we will die. It's so scary that they don't want God to speak to them because they're hearing this thunder and stuff. And that two phrases breaks my heart because God literally just said, I want you to be a kingdom of priests to me. And you see the people almost immediately going, no, 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 it's cool if Moses is, but we don't really want to. 
That's scary, God. And I think that there's absolute reality to us doing the same thing today, oftentimes. Instead of us cultivating that deep relationship with God and one another and listening as a people to God and trying to hear, it's easier to go, well, let the preacher hear and he'll tell us. Or let that minister over there here, and she can tell us, or whatever you want to say, right? That's what the people said. They said, I'm, I'm out. And there's a lot of reasons why we could say that. It could be fear. It could just be we don't really want to, or there's a lot of going on in our lives, or whatever. But man, it breaks my heart to see God say, I want you to be a treasured people. I'm calling you to myself. I'm calling you to me. And in this scene, though, it frightens them so much that they say, well, yeah, never mind. I'm out. You talk to Moses. Moses can tell us, and we're good, God. But see, Moses in verse 20, knowing God, because, you know, he spent time with God. He says, don't be afraid. Like, (laughs) the one who spent the most time knows the character of God, knows who he is more than anyone, says, hold up, don't be afraid. There is a reason God has done this. Like, God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you. Why? So that you do not sin. I think that if any of all of us have been children at some point, and many of us have been parents or aunts or uncles or, or whatever it may be, there are times whenever, as adults, we kind of have to, we say it, put the fear of God into our children. <laughs> Paul says Israel was treated like a child at this point. They have, they, have, they have come out of Egypt, they have the slave mentality, they have all these things, and as God has given the law, like God is having to treat them as their children. If we're good, loving parents, we're not trying to instill the fear of God into our kids because we have some kind of power trip that we're trying to go on, right? I'm sure there's some parents that do that. But there are times when we do it, and we have to be like, hey, no, Noah, this is serious, right? And why do we do it? Is it because we want to be angry at them? It's because whatever we need to share them with them is incredibly important and probably life-threatening, <laughs> life-altering, changing. If you go down this path, Jonah, this is what's going to happen. I'm just trying to be real. And this is what God is doing here to Israel. He's saying, Israel, I want you to be my treasure possession. He shows himself in this powerful, even kind of scary form to let them know as he's given these things, I don't want you to walk down this path of sin. If you don't listen and obey to these things that I'm going to share, It is not going to go well. There's no way you can be that light. There's no way you can be that people of promise if you don't follow this real, honestly, simple set of rules. Not saying it's easy to do, but like it's it's straightforward. God doesn't have a thousand hoops that he's asking Israel to jump through. So let's read. Go to the next slide. And let's try to read these as freshly, afresh as we can. Like, I'm going to ask that, ask that, Lord, Father, help us to hear these words that you gave the Israelites and understand, Father, your heart behind them so that we can be mature in learning and, and walking in obedience, but having that heart knitted with yours. Yes. So when you go back to verse, to chapter 20, he opens up, and these are these things. This is, he said that he is in covenant with Israel and asks them to obey him and keep his covenant. This is what he's calling. In order to be a kingdom of priests to God, here's a good starting place, Israel. And he says, I'll say in, start in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, So just stop there for a second. He's going to continue to reiterate, again, no ego trip here. They just need to know it was him. It's like us. Like We have to recognize the reason that we have any hope at all for future and for resurrection is because of Jesus. (laughs) Like That is the foundation of our faith, is it wasn't anything that we did besides just responding to what he has done. That's all Israel has done, has responded to the work that God has done, and it reveals that God is a God of rescue. And he's reminding them to say, listen, I am the God. There's all these gods of Egypt, y'all. There's all these different tribes and people all around that serve different gods. And honestly, some of those gods are probably pretty attractive to them. Same as it is these days with us. 
And he says, I'm the one who brought you out. This is foundational. You can't have other gods before me. Like in order to do any of these other steps, in order to have your house planted on a firm foundation, this is mission critical. You cannot go after the other gods. And it's, you know, we can look back at them and think of the, the gods of Egypt and all these things, and we've done this. I'm going to say, let's do it one more time. What are some of the gods of our day? Just shout it out. Self. Absolutely. Power. Money. Someone say something else? Convenience. Status. Nationalism. Uh-oh. Greg's always... Family. Yeah. Ooh. The McKenzie's, they're, just, they're going for the heart. Yeah. I mean, Jesus himself brings up you can't serve God and money, right? Like he equates this idea of these things. Like this isn't just made up. I'm not just doing preacher talk. These are the gods of our day. <laughs> Power and all these different things. And if we're chasing after, if we're running after or being controlled by any of these things, we cannot be controlled by God. It's, 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 it's our choice. And I think it's hard in these days because it's quite deceptive, right? Like we don't have um, Osiris and this, and I'm going to bow down to that God. Like there's these gods that are hovering around calling to us. And sometimes we're knee deep in worshiping them before we even recognize what's actually happening. No one usually chooses, goes, I'm going to have the God of money that I'm going to follow today. I'm going to have the God of nationalism or even family. That's, that, that can be a challenge. But we have to, and I ask, these are so simple, but I have to ask myself those questions. Do I have gods before God? Like, what do I spend my time and my money and my, <laughs> what is my mind constantly going towards? Are there things that are controlling? And the crazy thing is, is there's things that are good in life. That if they get twisted, they become gods to us. And that's why it's not so simple. Because his very next thing is, verse 4, he says, You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, that is on the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And it continues along that line of putting other things before God and idols before God. And we can talk about that. What are things that we idolize, right? We would say that. Is it sports, right? I struggled with that for a long time. I had to repent of that. I mean, we have a show called American Idol, and I'm not against American Idol, right? <laughs> I've seen it. That's not, I'm not like Grumpy John. That's, there's nothing wrong with watching it. But the point is they want you to idolize this person and buy their merch and buy their CDs and watch all the shows, like this is like, this is, I think that is one of the most deceptive is idolizing people, is putting people in the place of where God should be on his throne. It is deceptive because we can have great preachers or theologians that become, idol, that become idols to us. Instead of us diving in and listening to God, we constantly have to go to that person because we just have to know what they say, speak to him or her so that they can give me the line, God it can be a sports star. It can be all kinds of things. And the crazy thing is, is again, it's harder. And I feel like it's hard in this day because it's so twisted because I have great theologians that I love to read and I really want to hear their opinion. And that's a healthy thing. But if it becomes twisted because I just, I begin to idolize them, then what am I doing? And so again, asking ourselves these, God is not saying these things to be mean. He's just saying, listen, if you are going to be this treasure possession in this holy nation, like these are foundational pieces that we have to guard our hearts. God has to be the foundation. There's no if, ors, way, way, way shape, or whatever about it. It throws everything out of alignment when that doesn't happen. And oftentimes, if we look at our lives and we think about sin that's crept in and that we're struggling with, it can oftentimes begin with idolatry. And we don't realize it's happening. He says in verse 7, You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. So at first, he's talking about things that are like direct between God and, and man, right? Uh, Israel was so afraid to not use his name, as we've talked about. Many believe Yahweh is a good chance that that's the way you pronounce it, but we still don't know because they were so afraid. But what I see is really interesting here is that when God is guarding, first of all, there is, a, there is an element of holiness and stuff that we 
that, that, is, that is throughout Scripture, that sometimes we err because we were so afraid <laughs> that we err to this one side of, yo, what's up, God, you know, and all that stuff. Like, there's this, he is, uh, we are to honor him because he is God. He created that earth thing that I showed you. Unbelievably, he snaps his fingers and it all goes away, right? It's Jesus who holds everything together. So there is this reality of, of this, this reverential, like, good, good peace because we recognize how amazing he is. I mean, I don't want to even use my earthly father's name in a bad. That would be, I'd be a jerk, right? Shouldn't I honor him and use his name well? That's what God's saying. Like, don't misuse this name. And what's so crazy is that later on when we see Jesus, we see Jesus giving his name as a way to bring healing and restoration. Don't miss, right? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. You see the early church casting out demons. You see the early church healing people. God healing through this name of Jesus. It doesn't say don't use the name. He actually said just don't use it wrongfully. It also reminds me of when John King has shared that his dad would say, don't forget who you are. Like, we are representing the king. Israel is called to represent, like, this is what it means to be in a relationship with God. Don't misuse this. Don't misuse the name. Then he goes on in verse 8 to say, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male, female slave, your livestock as a resident alien in your towns for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in it, but rest on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and consecrated it. You know, I, we taught on this like months and months ago. But I believe even before the law was given, God rested on the seventh day and he built a rhythm of rest into all of creation. And we've talked about this. Isn't that beautiful? Like, why do we read some of this stuff and be like, whoa, what a drag. Oh, I'm not, God wants me to take a, take a day to rest and to be with him and to be in his creation and to be with friends and family and just enjoy it. What a bummer, God. And yet because of the busyness of our lives, we struggle and God knew he would is why he, <laughs> he said these things. He knew Israel would struggle to chill and rest. But I think that's a beautiful reflection of God's heart. In these 10 things he says, he says, one thing, I want you to rest. You need to rest. And you need to enjoy as God. He sat down and enjoyed the creation. That was, again, Adam and Eve's first day. After they were created, the first day was rest, enjoyment, what's been created. And we gotta check our hearts on this, y'all. And God, like, I've been real busy lately. And this has been something that I, I continue to go, like, even this weekend, I'm resting. Like, I've got to. It's, I want to. It's good. It's beautiful. Thank you, God, that you've told us to rest. He's not a slave driver. He's not saying, go, 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 do, do, do. He gives us an opportunity to, to be a part of that. I love it. So take, take, take that idea of rest, y'all, and, and, and take it as a gift, because that's what, that's what the scripture says, it was a gift. A gift instead of a... Uh. Then verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother so that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We oftentimes read this only as like a me-to-me -me thing. He's talking to a nation and people that are going into a land, a land of promise, and he's telling them as a nation that if you honor your fathers and mothers, you are going to live long in that land. Like, if you are, if you have a culture of honor, because it's so easy, y'all, it's so easy for the younger generation to think they got it. We all have been challenged by it. I don't know. Maybe you all have just been perfect. But when, ever since you become a teenager and you think you know more than mom and dad, that doesn't ever quite leave you unless you are careful. Because when you become older, you're like, well, you know, I know how to run this business better than this. You know, you know, he's getting old. He knows it's the old ways. I know how to do church better. You know, they're doing it the old school way, you know, but we know. And there's some good in that in understanding the youth and the vigor and that things are changing. But there's a culture that God wanted Israel to have of honor. And, and taking care of and saying, look, these are the men and women who brought, who got us here. Like, we need to listen. We need to have wisdom and hear from those who are older than us. We need to receive that wisdom. We don't need to reject it. We don't need to think we know more. We need to bring honor to that. And I think that's just so, such a beautiful 
the beautiful thing that God calls us as the people of God into. And so we ask ourselves, not only I can ask myself individually about my individual father and mother, sure, of course I need to honor them. But more broadly, like, how are we honoring those in front of us? How are we honoring those who are the fathers and the mothers of our community? And how vitally important that piece is. Isn't that crazy how important that is to God? Like, I mean, honor it's so important that he's hinging how long you're going to live in the land on this. <laughs> like, this is an important piece. Because, oh, it's just honor. No, I mean, it's, it's vitally important. Out of 10 things God initially gave them, this was one of those things. Honor. So he's gone from our relationship more directly with God in the honoring father and mothers to our relationships with one another. But then he spouts off a few things, or it's kind of short. He says, you should not, shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Um, the relationships that we have with one another matter to God. That's what this is showing. I can't just treat anyone however I want to treat them and just be like, well, me and God, we're cool. I've got God, but I can treat you like garbage. Because we know that even though God says, you shall not murder, that Jesus expounds on that, and as a mature son or daughter with the Spirit of God, that we're not supposed to be angry. And what hit me when I meditated on this this week was saying, what's the, the antidote to that? Or I don't know. <laughs> Reconciliation. Like, it's easy. I know some people that, lo- that, that <laughs> love God and, and are wonderful people that harness bitter resentment and anger towards one another and refuse to reconcile. God says, listen, Jesus says, if you're angry, you're committing murder. There's, that's, there's no place for that. And I know it's hard. I'm not acting. You think it's, you think it's easy to sit down with someone and be like, oh, our relationship needs to reconcile because we're broken. And honestly, I'm bitter or I'm resentful or I'm angry at you. That is a difficult conversation to have. Like, I, this is God is... But these are necessary conversations because we cannot be that light, the people of God, if we're going around broken, fighting, angry at each other, bitter towards one another. You shall not commit adultery. Man, that will, adultery will be, is, is a family and community breaker. It affects so many people, if you've ever been a part of that or known. It not only affects the husband or the wife, the spouse of the person, it affects the children whether they're grown or they're little babes. It affects the family around them. It affects the community that they're in. And I know, like, I mean, God doesn't say these things uh, because they probably won't happen. No, he says these because these are real temptations for humanity. Like, that man or that woman is looking great. But also, on top of that, my you know, spouse is very adventurous, but they're more chill. I kind of like that. Or my spouse is very chill, but they're really adventurous. I've wondered what that's like, right? Like, that's usually what happens. It's oftentimes kind of the opposite. And it doesn't happen overnight, but recognizing that the way that we treat sexuality and our marriages and stuff is vitally important to God. Same as we honor, as we have relationships with not being angry and bitter and resentful, like, this is a big deal. You shall not steal. <laughs> this is broken. This, the, 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 the nation of Israel, they're going to be broken if we begin to take things from others that aren't our owed. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This crumbles the entire justice system. And God is a just God. If there are people going around bearing false witness, that breaks the whole thing down. Moses can't sit and help judge Israel if there's people in Israel lying about other people, talking about them, um, in a false way, or it shows me that God has a heart for justice, and we have to be truthful, and we have to be honest with one another. And man, that, that can be hard. And I know this is really talking about false witness, it seems like, in a court kind of setting, but I think we can apply that to just broad, blunt honesty with one another. Even like this week, I, got a, I have a new job, and there was a, a quote that hadn't been done, and I thought my boss was going to do it. It's really hard when you're both kind of doing a job. You know how that happens, then the kind of we laugh about it cause, or talk about it before. Like, yeah, I'm sure some things are going to get wires crossed because we're both trying to do this. And she sends me the message and said, hey, you got that to them, right? And I'm like, my heart's racing. I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, 
I, I thought she was going to do it based on her email. And so I, I talked to her and I said, hey, I thought you were going to do that, but it's my job to make sure that it got done because it's my territory. So I apologize. Like, it's my fault. Only to her, which, I mean, right? Only to her go, no, it's my fault. And I, what I loved is that there was blunt honesty and it wasn't like this, like, oh, no, well, you shouldn't have done that or you should have done that or you should have said it this way or I should have said it this way. Like, I just thought to myself, like, I think this is the way the kingdom works. Like, we have to be willing to just be honest. And also, that means owning up to what we do that's wrong. Man, that is the, that is the fastest way to reconciliation. And these things is just saying, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that again but so much of the rabbit hole gets twisted and the false witnessing and the lying and stuff gets twisted when we're trying to cover up or we're scared to just be honest with one another. Being honest with one another doesn't mean we walk around and we're jerks and stuff. <laughs> but it means like, hey, this happened, this hurt me, I just wanted to share that with you. And then finally, verse 17 and this is kind of like why we do these last few things that we've been talking about, what the root of it is, is it's covetousness. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slaves or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's in that place of covetousness that births then later, if we act upon it, the act of stealing, the act of, of adultery the act of these things. And so I'm asking, why is, what is God speaking to these people? And as he's talking about covetousness, I'm reminded of this whole thing that he gave them like food for one day. <laughs> like he's trying to teach them like contentment and for them to be content with their daily meal. But it's so easy. This is hard for our culture, y'all. We are constantly bombarded with, me, with um, marketing that says, don't be content covet this and covet that and covet that, right? And I think this is one of the more, uh, one of the really difficult ones in this passage because, man, it is hard whenever you have a friend that's driving a really awesome car and yours is, you know, you're holding it together with duct tape and hoping that it starts and to not go, oh, God, and then to get, then to get bitter and to be like, well, that's not fair. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? And in that place could birth us into allowing evil to come into our lives and act upon things that we shouldn't. Your neighbors or your friend's wife or your friend's husband, the slave, the, the, maybe they have a sweet boat, you know, and yeah, man, you love the boat because I'm looking at the, the ox and the donkey and these other belongings. I'm thinking, wow, look at those belongings. Look at that nice, you know, we don't say that these days. Look at that nice donkey over there, man. Man, did you see that ox that Greg had? I'll tell you what. We would, we would say, look at that boat, or, you know, wow. There's a lot of things going on in your heads, I know. I'm not going to say them, but it's, but it's funny. But are we in a place where we, this covetous, a lot of this is tied back to our trust in God. And do we trust that God will take care of our needs, that he's given us what we need, or are we going to be a people that's constantly craving more and going, well, they have this and they have that. And man, that is a bad place to be. I know it's a temptation. I know there's times I'm like, dang, I wish I had that. But then times I'm like, mm, whatever I have is perfectly fine. Like what, am I, like, what am I doing? But again, we read all these things and we recognize that this is God's desire for them to be this kingdom of priests and to show the world, to bless the world, knowing what it's like to be in a relationship with God and in a holistic relationship with one another. And that the nations around them that are murdering and committing adultery and they're doing these things, they can recognize that that's, there's a brokenness to that. It's broken. That's why God had the lightning and thunder, because sin destroys. It destroys. He is not trying to be mean. He's not trying, none of the, he, he recognizes as a loving father that these are stuff that, that breaks families and breaks nations and breaks communities apart. And he's saying, I want you to be a whole community. This is the way that I made you, Israel. And y'all, we are wonderfully invited into this. Thank God that he, that he calls us 
a kingdom and priest to him. Thank, you, thank God that he desires us to be treasured possession. It's beautiful and it's an awesome responsibility. And he would just, in here, say, just obey, obey my commands. <laughs> Stay in covenant with me and do what I say. And this is exactly what's going to happen. And it's that self that Matt said. That's the nature that goes, no, but I don't want to. And yet this is what brings wholeness. This is what heals our city. This is what heals our schools. This is what heals our nation and the nations of the world. So, Father, um, I, I, I thank you for continued, Holy Spirit, continued revelation of the heart of the Father in this um, so that we see these things that you have shared with the Israelites, even from your perspective, and that we don't only walk in them, we love them. And God, I, don't, I am blown away by the fact that you would call a people to yourself, bear them on eagles' wings, rescue them from slavery, choose to call them, desire them to be your treasured possession, and desire that they would minister, a kingdom of people who minister to you. Lord, help us to embody that. But we recognize that, Lord, none of this was initiated without you. You are the great rescuer. Holy Spirit, you're the one who enables us to be able to do any of these things. And we thank you that you haven't asked us to do things that we can't. And we cry out for healing in our city. We cry out for healing in our businesses, healing in our schools, healing at all of our places of employment, and that we would be ministers of that healing. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.